0: Hi, honey. I'm home. I hope my sandwich is ready. Oh, your roots are showing, and you know how we feel about that.
1: I'm Amber Gold, International OSI Super Spy, and ladies, let me tell you, it's harder than it looks. Stopping Sphinx in the Guild is easy, but keeping these naughty roots from peeking out is the real battle.
2: Ventec and Dummy Corps are proud to introduce Voop. A new line of feminine health and beauty products for the super-science-minded ladies on the go.
0: Time for your hair treatment. One trip to
1: the nozzle took my amazingly lush hair from dishwater to gold.
0: Ah, that's much better. Now, that sandwich isn't gonna make itself, babe. Triangle cut, no crust, heavy mayo, and those little toothpicks with the colored plastic ends on them, blue only. Boop, hair dye.
2: Because he's fantasizing about blondes anyway.
1: Thanks to Boo, I can keep my man happy and my coworkers satisfied, very satisfied.
2: Found
0: wherever abrasive chemicals are sold. Side effects may include tingling or burning sensation, loss of hair, scalp pain, rapid nasal hair growth, hallucinations, spontaneous male lactation, and loss of life. Not for sale in Europe, Canada, Ungerland, or Taiwan. Products may contain orphans.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome out to another very exciting episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, the inimitable Brock Savage. We are joined, as always, by my longtime companda, the cuddly, the adorable, the terrifying Baron Slamode. And once again, we are joined, as always, by our co-host and resident denizen of dinner theater, the Vaudevillain. We have a very special episode for you this week, as we are interviewing a man whose name would most likely get Brock Sampson in trouble. His name is either John Rossetti or John Reschetti, depending on whether or not Brock is saying it, and he is a storyboard artist in New York's animation industry, best known for his credits on Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers, Stephen Colbert's our cartoon president, and Nickelodeon's Blaze and the Monster Machines, which is one of the things we're going to be spending a ton of time on today because our listeners love Blaze and the Monster Machines. Uh, and, of course, uh, Marvel Ultimate Con- Comics, uh, Carnage. I'm sorry?
2: I was going to say, yeah, like, STEM-based cartoons are really, like, the <laughs> core uh, of our audience. Like, <laughs> right? I-, I break out the ruler and the protractor while I'm watching Blaze. Uh, suffice it to say, I have children, so I am way too into that show
3: <laughs> than I should be. And um, you will know all I, the
1: catchphrases then,
3: that... right? Uh, as I understand, let's were... blame.
1: There it is. <laughs>
3: As I understand, you are a graduate of the School of Visual uh, Self-Publish, a Visual Arts Cartooning Program, and you yeah. have a background in comic books, yeah. sequential storytelling, and self-publishing, and you're preparing your own co creator own series, Coil, a Gene Punk Story, with writer Joshua V. Cher, as well as developing your own creation, The Fool. Now, you have a tremendous resume. You have worked on quite a bit over the years. When did you get started in the animation industry?
1: Yeah, uh, so first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. And um, as far as getting started, uh, my first job was on the Venture Brothers, or season one. And um, I had never done storyboards before that. I had worked... uh, solely in comic books, um, doing uh, as a cartooning major at School of Visual Arts, and, um, you know, I got the job through a friend of mine who was interning at, uh, at the time it was in Noodle Soup Productions, was um, producing the show, and uh, he showed me the pilot originally, uh, one time when I was hanging out at his show, and I thought, or at his house, and I thought, I thought it was hysterical. I'm just like, if there's ever a job that opens up on this show, you got to give me a call. Like two weeks later, he gave me a call. <laughs> said, said they had a storyboarding position, and, and did I want to come in for an interview? And I was coming home from work that day, um, and it was already seven o'clock in the evening, I think. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be right there. Let me grab my portfolio. And I ran right back. I ran right in, did my interview with the storyboard supervisor at the time. Um, it was it was my work. It was my comic book work. It was my thesis work that was actually the character, the fool, that when I had first imagined him, um, that caught his attention. And then, uh, you know... It was, Next thing I knew, I was working in animation for the next 16 years.
3: Now, this makes me, because I feel like part of this in my head is going to be a little different than the lived reality that you experienced, because when you say, I got home from work and then ran down to the offices, in my head, it looks a little bit like FinTech Tower, but it was probably like a closet off of a bathroom somewhere.
1: (laughs) That's uh, that's about right. Uh, It was actually, um, let's see. They moved offices several times during the course of the eight or 10 years I was working with them while they were noodle soup. And then they were, you know, in, uh, they were trying to figure out who they were, and then they were world leaders. Um, And so, yeah, their first office was about two blocks south of Port Authority on 8th Avenue in New York city.
3: Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a little, little itty bitty place. Uh, (laughs) You walk in and they're like on each other's shoulders going Mecca Shiva, Mecca Shiva.
1: Yeah. There's a little, there's exposed pipe everywhere. And, um, but you know, the great thing about it is it was just one of those places where, uh, as one of my friends described it when he came to visit me, he's like, you know, it looks like a place where people are rolling up their sleeves and getting the work done.
3: Um, and would you say that that really characterized the general ethos throughout the, because f- you were there for yeah. like 10 years. So that's three seasons, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> and that, that's exactly right. Um, because they kept me, they kept me very busy in between seasons. We produced an entire season of another show um, called Super Normal, uh, in between season two and season three, uh, where I worked as a storyboard supervisor. Um, That was produced in conjunction with a company out in the UK. I think it aired in Canada and the UK. Um,
3: And
1: uh, they put me on a whole bunch of commercial work. um, And, you know, yeah. Absolutely. everyone was there just just you know we were there we were there to get the job done
0: and... so only because this is gonna bug we had me. a lot of fun too <laughs> <laughs> only because this is gonna bug me you said they you got shown the pilot which pilot are you talking about the air number one pilot or my absolute favorite um the the, the mystery of turtle bay because everyone oh. seems to, to to kind of not take the greatest shining to that but i love that episode no when
1: i when i um when my friend showed me the pilot it was the mystery of turtle bay yes and i thought it was hysterical and i actually when we were chatting the other night on messenger um i fired up hulu and i watched that again i was laughing my ass off um it's even funnier than i remembered it
0: i honestly wish they would have kept that like when brack brock goes after the alligator the way they do that whole montage i wish that would have just popped up a little bit more but I I, I get that it was what had
1: me me cracking up was the voice acting of the mummy he's beating the mummy up (laughs) the guy's like hey there's no reason (laughs) Um, but what what's really what's really special about that um, that pilot is that uh, even though the the whole thing was was animated I believe it was animated in flash um, as opposed to the series which is which is you know, technically hand-drawn in Korea. Um, We had a guy at the time um, named Bill Pressing, and he did a lot of the art direction, and he did a lot of the keyframing on that. And I can really see his characters coming through in some of the expressions, and they're really bouncy and expressive and super, super good. and just to see, just to see his uh, his mark on that show, uh, at that point was just like, oh man, that guy's such an incredible artist. And he, uh, we had him season one, um, but then he he was headhunted by Pixar, and he's been he's been there ever since. Um, and, uh, Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. You know,
3: I gotta ask, what was it about the tone of the show that got you so much? Like, what was it about the pilot that got you so excited about working with these guys?
1: So, uh, it really made sense. It made a lot of sense because um, what it was to me was, was, was the satire, the superhero satire, um, and you know, what, what made a lot of sense was what I learned later was its connections to the Tick, um, to Ben Edland and um, to the creator Jackson Public uh, and his history with the cartoon, getting his start as a storyboard artist on the cartoon and his writing um, with the Patrick Warburton live action. Well, and
2: how, uh, like, as a storyboard artist, how intimidating was that to know that, like, the creator of the show used to do your job mm. in some facet in the industry?
1: Um, I wouldn't say it was intimidating, you know, because, you know, it just shows me that, like, there's that, there's that ladder for everybody. There's that natural progression that everybody starts where I was starting you know, and that he obviously, I was working for a guy who obviously has been through the pipeline for a long time and knew how the job was done, Um, you know, and I appreciated that.
3: That brings me to my next question, which is, what is the job and how is it done? Like, can you explain uh, exactly what a storyboard is, for those of our audience who might not know, and what a storyboard artist is actually contributing to the finished product that they see on their television screens.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways a storyboard artist um, is, especially in animation, is, is almost a director, uh, cinematographer, uh, costume designer, uh, background designer, uh, actors, uh, you know,
3: it just does like everything. So what you're really saying (laughs) is that storyboard artists are the real heroes here. It's one of the
1: hardest jobs you can possibly get in animation. Um, just as penciling is one of the hardest jobs you can possibly do in comic books. Uh, there's a lot of heavy lifting involved. Um, that said thank God there are character designers and background designers and editors and everybody else to pitch in and you know um, because you know we wouldn't be able to do our jobs on schedule if we really if we really did have to do all that stuff in the in the whole process so you know what we're really doing what you know on a production like Venture brothers is, is just translating the script. We're the first people to translate the script into um, into the visual shots uh, and determining what the pace of the story is going to be, what the shots are going to look like, and um, you know what the overall tone of the show is going to be. Um, you know, so if there's You know if there's a sequence and you want it to open up and resemble you know a moody Indiana Jones esque you know (laughs) cave invasion
3: with Magnum P.I. with
1: with Magnum P.I. tagging along (laughs) and uh, it's the storyboarders job to kind of know what that visual language entails what kind of shots are entailed and, and make sure that those are used to communicate that idea and get that across and you know make it moody you know make it interesting um and then you know when you're on a production like this you do have the benefit of the character designers and the background designers getting there first and giving you a lot to work with and play with um and then all you have to do is set up the shots and, and go to town with the character acting
3: that's really interesting you know one of the things that uh, that strikes me about what you just said is that it makes me think that the relationship between the writers and the storyboard artist uh it, it is a really special one and it makes me wonder if it's more important to have a storyboard artist who kind of get your vision initially or a storyboard artist who is just a professional who can kind of get on board with what the vision is being presented to them as? Like, did you feel like it was really important that you understood the humor and the style that they were going for, and that's what made you so successful in that role? Or do you feel like it was your professionalism that really made that work because you could adapt anything that they were throwing at?
1: Ooh. Um... You know, for myself, it, I was so young at the time, coming out of college and it being my first animation job, that I was really learning on the job. Um, and everything they threw at me was a challenge. Everything was new. I was deferring to guys like Douglas Lovelace, who was my supervisor on the first season, uh, Stephen Stefano, and Siobhan Mullen, who were my supervisors on the second and third season, uh, as well as everyone around me um, to guide me. And, um, you know, I think that, I think that, yeah, I think that I, I think that I kind of was on board with knowing what the tone of the show was was supposed to be and that like you know knowing what the references were and knowing like what the visual language was 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 supposed to be and what it was supposed to be re- referring to you know when when Jackson Public would come to me with a scene that he wanted revised and he would have some notes, you know, and some some little sketch sketches, you know, call thumbnail sketches drawn, be really rough. And he'd be describing a character and like, you know, says big bulky characters running at somebody. And he'd be like, you know, make him charging at him. And he, it's like the rhino charging at Spider-Man. I know what that means. <laughs> because I'm a comic book fan who's been reading it for a long time and drew it in my sketchbook, you know, a lot. (laughs) So, you know, I think there was a lot of that, you know, when I'm looking down the, the aisle and I see the character designers, you know, and I hear him talking to them and they're like, all right, this character is a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And then they've got their drawing, and they've got their photo reference with pictures of each of those things, and like they all know like that material that they're drawing from, and how to how to mash it up to become this new and funny thing. Um,
2: That's yeah. really interesting to me because uh, you got to see firsthand a lot of the things we reversed engineer on the podcast right like right. all the you know various uh you know different composite characters and this and that like right. uh, just sitting down to you know get to pull all that apart and you've got to see it get put together yep that's that's a really interesting kind of perspective on that
1: yep yeah uh, you know vaudevillian is <laughs> it vaudevillian or vaudevillian 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 if you're nasty. Okay. <laughs> all right miss vaudeville <laughs> um you know i i was uh texting him the other day listening to one of your episodes talking about the uh opening with um dean uh dressed as uh, magnum PI, and you know i heard you guys speculating about about that and you know i text them i'm like yeah that was supposed to be magnapia that's,
0: that's exactly <laughs> can, what they were going for <laughs> can i just say thank you for that because it's just such a bizarre experience getting somebody who literally was in the room working on that stuff just getting confirmation texts that's just something <laughs> weird all into itself i was just like i've never had that experience before i've had plenty of thoughts and notions about what was possibly going on in the room when it happened but it's really kind of weird to have it Literally laid out for you like yeah. that. So thank you. I, 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 I really appreciate that. I think,
1: that I, I think I'm quote. I think I'm quoted on a bit about um,
0: uh, the character hate bit with the oh. little Atari head thing. I love him. That is one of my absolute, when they finally named him, because if I remember right, he didn't get a name for the longest time. When they finally took that that name, it was like a friend I had had since kindergarten that I had forgotten what his name was. And it was just like this beautiful reuniting. And I was like, oh my God, it's you, hate it. So one
1: one of the things, one of the requirements when we design a character and it goes off to the rest of the team. It goes in the Bible for the episode. It goes off to the team. It goes off to Korea. It, it, the character has to have a name um, of some kind. Um, so before he became Hatebit, uh, you know, I was gonna say that I'm, I'm, I think I'm quoted on the, the Venture Brothers fan wiki for confirming this uh, on, on the, uh, the fan group. The, the name his initial name was taken from one of those um, one of those goofy GI Joe spoof videos. You remember those? Uh, yeah. And um, it was "I'm a computer." <laughs> it's just because we used to play that. We used to play that sound bit all the time. Someone in the office used to "I'm a computer. I'm a computer." <laughs> put that down as his name. That makes the pork n- chop sandwiches teacher make so much sense. That, that was getting played all the time, season one, nonstop. Pork chop sandwiches, pork chop sandwiches.
3: <laughs> I feel like uh, big chunks of the stuff that we find in there are just inside jokes that were making their way around the office at the time. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the
1: entire show is, I mean, the entire show, without a doubt, is... It the, the writing process is is Jackson Public and Doc Hammer shooting the shit, and when it's not the two of them, it's you know Jackson Public coming down to the office and shooting the shit with everybody else, and then something else pops into his head, you know, and then he and then he goes home, doesn't sleep, and actually bangs out the script, comes back and then does his revision notes and comes back the next morning smelling like cigarettes and coffee <laughs> and looking like dude you really need to sleep <laughs> but i'm glad you got our notes done so we have something to do today
0: so was now, absolutely- now the uh,
1: character design team needs you so sorry you're not going to get sleep
0: <laughs> so was that kind of the division of labor going on back then, at least between Jackson and Doc was sort of more Jackson was taking story um, and or, uh, sorry, Doc was taking more of the storyline and then Jackson was kind of working on more like the art end or something or how, how did you notice that their split kind of works?
1: Yeah, as far as I knew, you know, um, Jackson was in the office at World Leaders and Noodle Soup. We barely saw Doc. Uh, We saw him at parties, Um, you know, premieres, you know, whenever we had premieres or Christmas parties or any of that kind of, you know, important social event things that were, you know, office related. Um, And then, uh, you know, as far as I knew, um, he did all the editing, you know, all the, all the effects and, and things like that. So he was down in his office. His office was the Astro Base. Um, but that was, you know, the Astro base was basically his office. Um, and then yeah, um, he, uh, Chris was with us, giving us notes, doing the art direction. Um, you know, dealing with the producers, um, dealing with the pipeline, all of that stuff, you know, and just really dealing with the bulk of the labor. Um, and then, yeah, he would go down, do his co-writing, um, with Doc, you know, they, they'd split up the writing. However, they split
0: it up and, um, and then have you noticed any difference with the fact that, like, since they were doing writing and the art, and then they were also, let's face it, three quarters of the voices. Um, have you no- did you notice any difference in going on working with, not to really get into the other projects you've worked on afterwards uh, too much yet, but was did you notice a big kind of disconnect possibly between your, your voice actors that you've worked with on uh, later projects as opposed to that since they were so you know, tight-knit and really involved and they knew exactly what were, was expected of a vocal actor in that scene? Um, it was definitely it were different experiences, but,
1: um, you know, I think every show I worked on, you know, they had they had professional voice actors, you know, people with some pretty pretty good experience um you know, as all I really cared about for the most part is that we had a voice track of some kind to work with. Because when you don't and you gotta like and, and sometimes we didn't just because timing worked out. Uh, you know it, it just a lot of times it just ends up it just means you're going to have to do the work again because you just didn't get you just didn't get it right because you can't predict the way the person's going to deliver the line even if you really think from reading the script that you that you nailed it, it you get the line back and you're like ah oh that's way different way funnier you know or, you know unpredictable or, or whatever and i just have to do Um, The thing about uh, working with Jackson that I really liked was because he's a storyboard artist, because he's the voice actor, because he's so funny, he would come to your desk with his notes, explain the scene to you, do the voice, act it out in front of you (laughs) and not leave you with a lot of guesswork to have to figure things out. You can pretty much sit down and, and do what you need to do. And, you, and Whereas other times, you've got a lot of empty space, a lot of seconds to fill, a lot of dialogue to fill, and you're like, I've got a solitary shot on a character, and I've got to fill it with his hands moving, and I can't do much else with him because it's limited animation. How do I keep it interesting? Um, so, when you have a guy who's just so animated as a person to begin with, and he's talking about the monarch and he's doing this, <laughs> you know, you're like, all right, I know what I need to do with him. This is going to be fun.
0: I've just got this visual of, I think it was a season one DVD extra where they show the animation process and they're doing the go team venture in the green suits and everything. (laughs) And then they do that whole completely ridiculous montage of how it gets, that's basically what I have envisioned for like you sat at your desk on a Monday morning. That's, that's awesome. (laughs)
2: Center Center Nicholas just walking around in his green suit and the ping pong balls.
0: Hey, John, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> need me to pose? It's like this.
3: <laughs> Freeze, right there. Right, exactly. I, gotta, yeah. I got the life drawing easel. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, I'm going to need you to take off your shirt and hold this rose between your teeth. Um, now, obviously, you brought up a whole lot of really interesting stuff here. And one of the things that you mentioned was the relative difficulties of certain things as you've kind of gone through and reflected on your experience working, not just on the Venture Brothers, but on other projects as well. Uh, And let's kind of start with the Venture Brothers. What were some of the hardest things that you had to work on? And what were the things that just flew right off?
1: Uh, The hardest thing is always the deadline. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Always the deadline. The workload in animation is unreal. Um, and, uh, especially when you're working on a show like the Venture Brothers and everybody around you is so good and you just, you're just raising the bar, like everybody's just doing such a good job and you just like want to be there with them. And I mean... Chris was like trying to direct the show like it was a live-action piece on an animation but on a limited animation budget so he's pushing us as hard as we could go like hard perspective backgrounds, characters moving around you know in deep space uh, a- action shots you know big ass freaking you know, battle scenes for cold opens, you know, oh. uh, movie montages, like, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um,
3: we uh, we kind of have a running debate here on the pod about uh, the best cold opens. What are your favorites?
1: Oh, uh, uh, the one with uh, Venture Stein. <laughs> where... <laughs> where it's just, it's all from his point of view <laughs> yeah. and it's like a big ass it's a big battle the war the war footage uh, he's like uh i forget what i forget what the henchmen are saying who i'm uh, like keep your head on a swivel smoke him like, if you got him smoke him if you got him cliches frosty. like that <laughs> yeah frosty yeah it's, yeah that's that's without a doubt my favorite think my favorite I think Rick lacy I think Rick Lacey was a store a primary storyboard artist on that, or at least a primary revisionist on it
2: My favorite thing about that whole code code open is the uh the butterflies like once they're out of the trench and like the swarm of butterflies comes in and out of vision giving you snapshots of what Brock's doing to people. <clears throat>
3: yeah the lawnmower the lawnmower is my favorite (laughs) yeah i mean just
1: just to kill just to kill two questions right there i mean that that's my favorite episode in general uh, really to have worked on um in in part because it's Ben england's script um uh venture i think venture stein is hilarious um the scooby gang is hysterical uh you also get the big reveal. I mean, that's a pivotal moment in adventure brothers history. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, the thing about Ben and the tick, um, that I didn't get to mention before was that, um, you know, when I was young, my dad, my father used to bring home comics for me and my brother. Um, from the comic shop uh, near where he worked, and um, you know, we had a list of stuff that we wanted, and then he would randomly grab things that he thought were interesting. And he came home with the tick one day, and we used to sit in the kitchen and read it out loud with each other, and it like think it was hysterical. Like this was like back when the tick was still. A black and white comic yeah. they even had it you know colorized and and you know issue like 11 or 12 which was like the last issue hadn't even like come out yet yeah um and they were still teasing the animated show like in the advertising so you know the venture brothers in general for me was just like holy crap it's my first animated job and it's my dream job I peeked early, guys. So.
3: <laughs> what am I, uh, I? I caught the uh, I caught the Tick comic uh, pretty early too. What am I? The a moment that gets me and summarizes the Tick in my own head, not to anybody else, is uh, there's the scene where the Tick and uh, Clark Oppenheimer are fighting, Hope and the Tick breaks his glasses, and Jimmy shows up. And he's like, "Clark, is everything okay?" And he turns around and goes, "Everything's it's fine. Everything's fine."
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god, yes. Uh, that, that For me, like- it, it was the ninjas behind the hedge. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, and the guy in the house looks out the window and is like, "Honey, I don't remember having a hedge." <laughs> <laughs> are
3: you fucking serious? <laughs> 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 oh my god! As somebody who is actually in a really unique position to, you know, this is another topic that we've addressed before, which is uh, the debt in some regards, or the the way that was paved by the tick for the Venture Brothers, mm. and it's not just you know um, Jackson working with Ben Edland, but it, it's there are tonal similarities and the way the world is treated I think you kind of mentioned earlier like a superhero satire a yeah. parody and you know I wonder if you could offer some insights into that that might uh, that might help elucidate this further to our listeners who aren't familiar with it
1: no um
0: <laughs> no
3: no
0: <laughs> <laughs> stay in the dark you're no. staying in the dark guys <laughs> if you don't get it by now I can't help you <laughs> Let me enunciate three better.
2: TV shows and comic books. Go.
1: <laughs> Let, me en- Let me enunciate that better. You know. Um... <laughs> yeah, I think that from a comic book, you know, from a comic book standpoint, you know, and knowing that Chris. Jackson Public is such a comic book fan. there's such a history of just building on top, watching my cat over here doing something on the couch and uh, <laughs> she's got that mouth open, you know, like <laughs> like, like what do you smell anyway, so building on top of different things and and passing sort of the baton from creator to creator. Um, You know, and you've got Superman and and Batman and the stuff that Stan Lee did and stuff that happened in the 70s. And then you get the stuff that Frank Miller and Alan Moore did in the 80s. And you get these different generations of people growing up on different stuff. And they're all absorbing it and just mixing it up at the same time they're out listening to punk rock and heavy metal and watching kick ass movies. And, you know, I think that, you know, they're reading cool books and they're just, yeah, they get, they get into a place where they're creating their own thing. And there's just such, there's so much material up there. Somebody on the Venture Brothers team um, in the background department described one time, working with Chris McCulloch at a previous job when he used to be at a company called Jumbo, that, uh, they produce a bunch of Disney stuff, uh, including Doug, 101 Dalmatians, the series.
2: E.B. and J. Otter.
1: There you go. And um, they, uh, she she talked about how he was a young storyboard artist, but he just had all these ideas swelling in his head. And yeah, it's like it's like a guy with his head ready to explode because he's just got all this material building up, and it just it's drawing from so many places.
3: Um, Do you think that it might have more to do with the the cultural environment rather than any overt, uh, uh, I don't want to say homage, but any overt interaction? Like they were just, uh, you know, they just come from such a similar place culturally with the type of stuff that they were consuming and enjoyed. Yeah. You know, they were bound to, in some ways, find the same things funny.
1: Yes. I think that that's spot on, actually. Um, I think that you know I think a reference to Hulk hands and you just show them and like that's it. It's like kind of funny. But the way a character like Gary geeks out about it, like that's a that's an experience i think that we all understand i think that a lot of people i think that the way we experience these things and the way that the venture brothers characters experience these things the way brock talks about led zeppelin man (laughs) like man so good
3: People know what it's like to talk about a band and try to convince someone how good it is. Uh, Right? You know, I've only ever met one person who didn't like Led Zeppelin. And my buddy Ryan, and he essentially was like, nah, man, too many songs about Hobbits. Too many songs about Hobbits and Citrus. (laughs) (laughs)
0: worried about scurvy like yeah, right. <laughs> so,
3: somebody grab a pirate captain we got a solution here <laughs> I mean who do you think
2: was hooking John bottom up with the trank
3: right <laughs> <laughs> where do you think they got the shark <laughs> I love I love
1: when the I love the pirate captain when they just cut when they just cut to him and he's like
0: Jesus Jones <laughs> well, that's a good band <laughs> <laughs> Keeps the pirate vernacular in everything he says, it doesn't matter,
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, he banishes everybody to John Paul Jones's locker,
2: <laughs> and to be like, that's the magic of, of Venture Brothers. So, uh, being you know, like uh, a little bit of on the younger end, uh, I mean, I say like younger, I'm definitely not spring chicken anymore, but I remember catching the first run when I was like 17 and then like the Pirate Captain episode comes on and he's like, Jesus Jones. And this was before smartphones. So I'm like, stop what I'm doing, go to the computer, look up Wikipedia, find out that Jesus Jones had that song from car commercials that I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Like Venture Brothers
3: helps put together like the the random dots in the universe for me. (laughs) And that actually brings up a question that I've got for you, uh, which is what is your favorite most overlooked detail like Ooh. is there a particular thing that you were like dude this is the most brilliant thing we've ever done in this show and nobody's going to notice it or something that just does not get the love and attention it deserves
2: like tom Selleck's mustache <laughs> right
3: let me uh
1: let me think about that and get back to you in like 20 minutes
3: no worries no hurries <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god um you know, I don't. Out the top of my head, I'm I'm not sure. But, okay, but uh, let
0: me let me spin it to you this way, because you might give you time to think. Is there anything like I've heard the guys complain on commentary tracks that they hated getting "ignore me" yelled at them? Is there anything that you think was a little overdone, where you're just like, "That didn't"? I mean, it's funny, but come on, guys, that that that's what you're clinging to. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally
1: understand that. Um, you know, I. I I don't know. I One thing that certainly to me can't be done to death but certainly everybody's going to try and like, I, I think that to me it's just like just keep it going is, is the nozzle. <laughs> yes. Because it's just it's just so inexplicably weird <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that it, that just you know <laughs> It's me. Uh one one scene I loved drawing. I loved uh I loved this character. Um, Dr. Dugong and his adorable cuttlefish. <laughs> um <and laughs> that character just cracked me up. She was just so pathetic. <laughs> I love I love when
2: monarchs like just unleashing on him, and he's like, wait, "Wait, what? What are you talking
3: about?" He's so confused.
0: What no.
3: <laughs> I, you know? One of the one of the things that we've talked about on numerous occasions is the way that uh, they're constantly writing checks they don't know they're going to cash, and you are a person for whom might uh, the person might have some additional insight into this are like dugong for instance right he comes back much later in uh plays a big part in the morphic trilogy and as we're kind of looking at that character was there any plan for him to uh, reappear or was he a one-off that they just found a way to like just brilliantly work in again later
1: that that i definitely don't know that's definitely a, a question for the writers um especially since I wasn't there after season three.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, So I didn't, I didn't get to see how they brought them back in terms of of the behind the scenes stuff. I would, I would guess, I would, I would guess that no, they probably didn't have that idea until later you know when they who is he related to is it is it wide whale or yeah
3: yeah yeah Yeah.
1: probably when they came up with that character they were like "Uh, that uh, that could work we could do that (laughs) there's no reason we can't like let's do a continuity check like we
0: there's no reason we can't do that right all right so let's do that well they had the they had a brilliant wrap up to make sure there was no continuity issues with the bit about, um, Oh God, I'm going to forget her name now. Um, wide whales daughter suddenly being like, I have an uncle. Like (laughs) I love that little censure line just to be like, no, nobody knew a thing. There's no issues here. She doesn't even know he existed at
1: at the same, at the same time, you know, Chris might have a stack of sketchbooks somewhere. In his house, and if you flip through them and you find his first doodle of you know Dr. Dugon and Wide Whale, it, it might say brothers, you know. And it, they were, and, it, and then maybe he didn't write his first script on the character for another two years, three years, you know, or because, ten, you know, or <laughs> ten, you know, these, you know, the way these, I mean, I've. I have original artwork of Chris's that are, you know, character headshot doodles like on the back of storyboard sheets with like, you know, a word balloon, like line of dialogue and stuff. And, and like, that's the way a lot of these, a lot of writers work is like an idea pops in the head, they, they doodle it down and then, it off to you and then they put it they, I, he doesn't even know where it went like it's it's a scrap piece of trash to him but he he you know the 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 act of writing it down is also the him mentally filing it away for when he needs it later you know um,
3: doodles. So, I can make you
1: tens of
2: dollars on eBay.
3: <laughs> Tens, even <a> les, <laughs> elevens of pennies. Um,
1: <laughs> eat
3: the pennies. <laughs> they're, gonna, they're
1: gonna go up eventually.
3: Okay. <laughs> um, now, one of the questions that uh, we would had submitted was whether or not you were involved in Dr. Orpheus's magical shape-shifting bookshelves.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I did, um, but I did draw his debut. Really? There we go. That, that was the main thing we had from. Uh, it's our main artist here on staff, uh, Randall. He's. Um, uh, we're both massive Doctor O fans. There's been a couple things where we've gotten to start kind of working with Doctor O. So just any any insight or anything on the creation process, would we'd just love to find out about any of that background. On yeah, here.
1: the first the first scene where he um, where he steps up to the doorstep. And uh, he rings the bell, and the door opens, and it it pans up at him, and he's standing there like this. That's that's my drawing, Uh, kind of going for a, kind of going for a magneto shot there with 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 kind of the gray hair and the big cape, Um, and uh, the original art for that. Sold. I sold at a convention to the guy sitting next to me, uh, who was the um, uh, writer at Marvel named, Fre- named Fred Van Lente. Um, he writes. Yeah, he writes actually, for Marvel. He writes for yeah. Marvel. What's that?
2: I'm actually reading uh, Action Philosophers right now. That oh. is a wonderful series. Easy.
1: Yeah. His, yeah. Uh, him and him and Ryan Dunlavy were sitting next to me. Uh, That's really cool. And uh, I sold it to him um, as a gift for his wife, Crystal Skillman. She's a playwright, because uh, she loved the show, and she loved Dr. Orpheus. So they have the original art for that shot.
3: That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, uh, I guess, you know, the Dr. Orpheus character and kind of how he moves, you know, obviously, as a storyboard artist, your job is to take all these different ideas and somehow make them work. What was it that uh, really stuck out for you about how that character was supposed to be translated?
1: The voice. (laughs) (laughs) Steven's voice is just enormous. (laughs) He's a little guy, too, I think. (laughs) I mean, talk about
0: melodrama. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and I did a little bit of digging on him, it's, and it's clearly not due to his talent levels or anything like that, because he's absolutely amazing, but his IMDb, if I remember right, wasn't exactly huge. Do you know, like, did he just come in to do Dr. O because they knew him or something? Like, what? I didn't really do too know. deep of a dive. because It just didn't seem like he had the kind of IMDb page that would have reflected, you know, the quality of a Dr. O voice. Hmm, I don't know that story. Okay. Yeah. In
3: uh, my mind, as- uh- I was going to say, as has been demonstrated well, in my by its initial hiring. Like way. What's that?
2: Well, in my mind, it's like one of those Patrick Stewart stories. Like uh, somewhere like Jackson Public or Doc Hammer were walking by like, you know, a really nice restaurant. And then they heard like this concierge with an amazing voice. Like, <laughs> no, I would love to recommend a Bordeaux. <laughs> and they're
1: like, that's Dr. Bro right there. <laughs> Um it's also it's also very possible that um any of these any of these people came in as a result of, of having worked with Mike Saint of Nicholas who owns um a recording studio and does a lot of recording with voice actors. Mm-hmm. Um so he yeah, he works with a lot of people. He does a lot, you know, he does a lot of recording and producing and stuff. So you know he's i'm sure he's got a lot of those connections as well
0: i was almost thinking i was gonna have to try and find like whatever like the stage version of imdb is to see if he's just been like (laughs) massively on because he has that kind of a voice where i'm just like he's got that you know he's been on a stage at some point but that is
1: that is a very good theory that is a very good theory especially in new york
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah uh, I have to
3: ask about the brace yourself cup.
1: Brace yourself. Cup.
3: Brace yourself. Is that what your cup said? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's Marvin the Martian. Okay. <laughs> brace your brace yourself for immediate disintegration. Because uh, uh, we we use that phrase a little differently. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. All I saw was brace yourself. I was like, no way. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's. Uh, it's one of those tune, one of those tune tumblers.
3: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We got the the Looney Tune. What was it, Burger King back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the collection of oh, uh, glasses. Who my had the wife,
1: My wife has a, had a ton of those from Burger King, and um, she she was saving them all. And then uh, her father's house burned down this past winter. I think they I think she lost them all yeah it's a real shame amongst other things luckily no one was home when uh, her dad does a lot of antiquing and travels so uh, but uh, yeah she had a ton of ton of those it was the like antiquing that just makes this
2: like the house burning down even more like tragic
1: <laughs> oh there was, there was stuff there was stuff <laughs>
0: I'm still waiting to hear back. There was a—it was about a year ago or more now—but there was a fire at my father's house, and my signed by Craig T. Nelson um, racing gloves that I got one day were in there. And I'm like, if Mr. Incredibles gloves got burned to a crisp, I'm gonna be so pissed off. And then he's coach. On top of that, I mean, come on. But um, he was a nice guy. Another one I would have uh wish to have met a little bit later in life to uh chat with a bit but i basically got the gloves out of sympathy that i was a five-year-old child trying to get his autograph in the sea of 30 year old men pushing me out of the way so i was like all right i mean if i had to be young to get it cool but i wish i could have met him when i was a little bit older <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you
3: did got you it, see, use it did you see that video of the like a baseball player gets a ball he tosses it to the kid in the stands the kid drops it and the adult behind him like reaches down, grabs it, it's like, woo! It's like, yeah. really, dude? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's... Oh, I thought you were gonna go with the little kid who was a smooth little player, where he caught the gl- one from the guy, kept it in his glove, but he had some other ball, and he tosses it to the really cute girl behind him. He's like 10 or 11 years old, oh. and he's just straight throwing moves on this girl, but then they show it in slow-mo, and you're like, he didn't give her the real ball. Like...
3: <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, I, I, it, is it classy at that point? It's slick. Feels it's just.
0: It, it is simply it is slick. slick. That's that move. <laughs> that's either that's either really
1: smooth or really troublesome. <laughs> Keep an eye on that boy. Yep. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking about um, you know. There's some little. There's some little lines from the show that I love, and sometimes people like pick up on them, and, and sometimes they don't. One of my favorites. Is is uh, hatred uh, with Princess Tiny Feet when he's like obsessing over her little corn niblets? <laughs> oh. Corn niblets. <laughs> oh,
2: lord <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, Small, like for that whole like fifteen seconds of voice work, oh just God. crushed it. I love it.
1: <laughs> I, that when when you're talking about like the stuff that like people kind of miss or like. Like, little voice work like that, I, I love. Um, My brother, my brother brought up a great one um, from, from Aqua Teen Hunger Force this morning, uh, where Master Shake, he says to somebody, somebody's saying, like, when, when is, like, something, like, whatever, and Master Shake just responds, like, when is anything, anything? (laughs) <laughs> it's just like it's just a line it's just a dumbass line and I'm just like oh my god it just kills me
4: when is anything anything
2: no. <laughs> now like uh, growing up and this is probably going to be the one of the more cliche like questions but like uh, what was the the comic that got you into to drawing
1: so <laughs> this is a good one um Probably the, the one that I remember the most as far as, like, drawing, there were two. One, uh, one was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I uh, really just trying to figure out, like, how to draw those turtles' heads and, and the mask and the, and the nose and stuff. But then the one that really kicked it off was Rob Liefeld's X-Men, X-Force number one. Seeing Cable on the cover of X-Force number one and just all the aggression of that comic book, um, all the style, it was just, uh, you know, catapulted me and probably a million other teenagers into the 90s and said like, okay, comic book art looks different now.
3: Yeah, pouches.
1: (laughs) This is cool. <laughs> this is exciting. Pouches, smoke, guns that look like vacuum cleaners. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. I mean,
2: especially for technology fetishes, like the comics in the '90s were a big time.
1: Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then and then I'm discovering Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and Will Speratasio and and then forget about it, like copy and everything I can, get my grubby little hands on, and uh, then I learn anatomy and starting to have some second thoughts about Rob
4: Liefeld.
3: <laughs> 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 A whole different oh. discussion. <laughs> I mean, am prepared t- to have
2: that discussion,
3: but I don't, yeah, think this I, is I, I don't know if you've uh, caught some of the episodes where uh, Beast has made his opinions very clear. Uh, Beast is uh, is at a junior arching level for Rob Liefeld's Twitter. Oh
1: man, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I you know- I I went through. I went. Th- I've gone through a couple phases, um, but I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of respect for Rob at this point. Um, in terms of what he did do uh, to get me and other people interested in in drawing comics, uh, and what he did do to start Image Comics, um, and I respect the fact that he does um, he does he does follow the credo that I always like to tell independent comic creators, which is to you know create the kind of comics you want to read. He at least does that. And it it does seem to work for him um, and his fan base.
3: Well, he's one of the most successful comic book artists around. Period. And,
1: um, you know, there's something, there's something to that. Um, You know, I've had, you know, I have, you know, my, my, my opinions kind of, going waves there there are times where i've interacted with him online and i'm just like all right this is really cool he's he's a cool guy he's he's responding to his fans he's awesome and then i turn around and inexplicably um realize that he's blocked me um you know and i Uh, i'm trying to get him
2: to block me and he just won't
1: I, i think i think I think what I did on Facebook is I just tagged him too many times. I don't (laughs) think I, I don't think I said anything bad or, or anything. I think I just, you know, I posted in his group and and things and I think maybe it just set off too many notifications. That's, I, I,
3: you know, I don't, I don't know what I did, Uh, but uh, you know, well, so, surprise, we actually have Rob Liefeld joining Rob! the conversation right Uncle now. Uncle Rob! <laughs> but, hang on. And he's going to tell you exactly what you did. Don't oh. pretend like you don't know.
2: <laughs> Damn. But, hang Wait. On. I've got a list I've been preparing.
0: I'll be right back. I've been waiting, <laughs> right. I've been waiting for this. On September 17th at 9.47 p.m., did, you sent. Right. <laughs> wow. Uh, is...
2: Is it true that on the occasion of December twenty first, uh, two thousand and nine, you put ketchup on a steak?
3: That was my—that <laughs> was my twin brother, <laughs> right? My evil twin. Somebody would even mean, call it a doppelganger or life model decoy. And that steak was well done. <laughs> <laughs> you animal!
1: <laughs> Monster!
3: <laughs> right. Now. Obviously, there are a variety of different experiences that kind of play, uh, different changes that kind of play out between the initial concepts. And you referred to it a couple of times, like the revisions and stuff. What are some of the things that started off completely different than what we ended up getting? Like, were there certain things that you worked on that ended up being completely scrapped and we got something like wildly different on the back end
1: Mm. Um, you know there was one there was one episode I think it's um, I think it was guess who's coming to state dinner Uh, the one with Lincoln ghost ghost Lincoln yeah That episode was a nightmare to work on because it was supposed to be another Ben Edmonds script. Um, But it, it it only ended up being his concept and he didn't get time to to do the script. So it ended up um, just getting, um, you know, getting a late draft from the writing team. It it got bumped on the schedule, uh, like knocked back like two episodes. It ended up getting, yeah, a lot of late script revisions after we did our storyboards. So um, it was just a monster of an episode to work on because it just so
2: yeah. you, you did you do storyboard on that episode in particular
1: you know it, it was in it was in that season i think um where you know when i was brought on board i was brought on board as a as a storyboard revisionist which was a whole separate department there was an initial storyboard person would go and would come in the writers would look at it make notes, hand it off to the storyboard revisionists. We would, you know, do whatever, execute whatever notes we had. The idea was that it was supposed to be minimal, you know? And then we would also go through and we would make, we would put the characters on model. We would do a continuity check. We would do a check for, you know, Making sure characters match the design pack, do any what they call hookups when things cut if it needed an extra pose for to make sure nobody jumped in animation from like sitting to standing, you right. know, inexplicably, things things of that nature. Um, so yeah, by the time we got to this episode, the production had gotten so far shifted that. Yeah, we we stopped getting credited as revisionists and we just started getting credited as storyboard artists because by that point, (laughs) they were just giving us the thumbnails and giving us the script and giving us, you know, we were just doing the first pass at that stage because, you know, things just got so crazy. (laughs) Well,
2: like, there's always stuff that you see on on Venture Brothers and, and other shows, right? And then I always wonder about how how that looks in the creative process. Like, you know, you were talking about those uh, little like missed Mm one-liners. One of my favorite ones in the whole show is like Money Lincoln talking to Rusty about like being a fast wristed little redhead in the the Lincoln bedroom. (laughs) So in my mind, like somebody had to storyboard Money Lincoln making a jerk off motion.
0: (laughs) With the little arrows back and forth pointing (laughs) so you know there's (laughs) motion. Right. (laughs) Or or labeling
1: like this pose is one and this pose is two. <laughs> and then it goes to the director who then has to fill out a- an exposure sheet where it's Lots like of exposure. One, two times ten.
2: <laughs> <laughs> also, could you loosen up the grip on the fist a little? That looks unnatural. <laughs> <laughs>
1: obviously and and and, and then they it's called when when you when you're animating and you move from one pose to another and you want to exaggerate it you would you would uh you would give the instruction to the animator to overshoot so instead of just moving from pose to pose it would go from pose to pose but it would go a little further and then back so that's that's where you get good animation where it's like (laughs)
3: I hope that anybody listening to this on the podcast goes <laughs> and checks out the video, if we can make this available because that right there may be, sir, some of your finest work.
0: Oh, that's my legacy. just need to pop him <laughs> in that green suit with the little balls and he's good to go for the, uh, the animation <laughs> right. process.
3: Like really like just getting it, like own and it. I
1: just, I just apologize to my wife right now.
3: <laughs> and actually, as I understand, uh, now how long have you and your wife been together?
1: We've been together for 13, 14 years now.
3: And uh, have you guys been married that long or We've just... been
1: married for two years.
3: Hey, congratulations, man. Thanks. So Thanks. Uh, by this point, she's already bought in. Like, she's invested.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she signed the thing at this point.
3: Yeah, she is contractually <laughs> obligated to like you. So I, I don't think you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... I yeah, I, I make sure she remembers that, <laughs> and, and, and and vice versa. By the way,
3: <laughs> now well, one of the things that we've kind of touched on a little bit is the kind of working relationship and the dynamic. One of the things I'd like to uh, ask one of our uh, one of our listeners had asked, "What were your first impressions of the team when you got when you first got in?" Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, they, it took me a little bit to get comfortable because I was definitely very self-aware, like just insecure because um, I, I just did not feel like I belonged um, because everybody there had either worked together for a long time or um, Uh, I mentioned jumbo pictures earlier, they worked, a lot of them worked together there and and had formed noodle soup together. So there was that group of people. And then the other group of people were um, all former SBA students that were coming specifically out of the animation department. So then they also knew each other very well. so I knew a few of them, but for the most part, I, it, was, it was really getting to know a lot of new people for me. Um, luckily, they were very nice people. <laughs> uh, and um, it didn't take very long to, to be welcomed in. And, um, and uh, yeah, we, they were um, they were they were they were good. They were they were happy to kind of give me some guidance, especially uh, Douglas Lovelace, who really took me under his wing as far as kind of mentoring me for that first season. Uh, and he saw, you know, I think he saw a lot of potential in my work as well, um, which was you know. Just is really, really kind of him. Um, you know, Chris intimidated the hell out of me. Um, you know, uh, he just, someone that talented and, and, and that cool and <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Um, I also like, the other thing that like, I thought was like super cool about him is the uh the music in the show um steroid maximus (laughs) you know fetus um you know and and his his record was uh put out by um uh ipecac records which is the record label of um mike Patton from faith no more which is my favorite vocalists of all time
3: the but, widest yeah. range of any vocalist as yeah. i understand
1: uh, yeah.
3: oh, dude, then, I, um, I was actually just listening to
2: uh, peeping tom like while i was cleaning house earlier nice. that's one of my favorite concept albums nice like yeah yeah, yeah no it's just it, mike patton's incredibly talented yeah
1: yeah so you know that like that degree of separation just Like intimidated the hell out of me, you know, because I was just like, he he knows, he knows really cool people, and he's worked in Hollywood, and he's you know, like, I'm not that cool. Like, how am I gonna talk to him? (laughs) Like it may it made me nervous. Um, And uh, well, then come
2: to find out, clearly you were that cool. Like that's that's why you got you know you stayed on for three seasons.
1: I guess so. I guess. I guess I did something right.
3: (laughs) One of the lessons I try and teach my, uh, my kids is the closed mouth. Don't get fed. Mm. Like never be afraid to ask because the answer just might be yes.
4: Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I, um, you know, with, with that in mind, you know, and, and speaking of like, you know, other like dream gigs and dream jobs that i've had the opportunity to participate in um one of my other favorite bands is um coheed and cambria from raleigh and all right yeah and they have uh they have um a comic book based on their concept albums Mm -hmm. and um The singer lived in Park Slope, where I lived, for a while, and uh, I passed by him on the street, so, you know, had to say hello eventually, and, um, you know, as a result, you know, a couple years later, you know, seen him at Comic Cons, emailing, you know, he looked up my work. He saw that I worked in television things like that. And I eventually got to do uh, a variant cover for his comic book. And It was my first published, you know, comic book cover. That's awesome. Uh, for the for the Amory Wars and, um, you know, yeah, it it really it really was a matter of like, all right, you gotta gotta get the stones to approach them at some point, you know. And Say don't hello. be afraid
3: to approach them in the bathroom while they're using the restroom.
1: <laughs> might, as we learn from Comic Con, against that might
3: have. <laughs> Remember the closed mouth don't get fed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> rule number
3: three. <laughs> rule number three. There it is. Um, it's like someone
0: I, with a fever is yelling at my junk. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> you, dab. you, dab.
3: you dab. so one of the things that this is actually a great opportunity to segue into some of your other work uh, because the rest of your CV is just as amazing as the work that you did on the Venture Brothers talk to us a little bit about our cartoon president uh, our cartoon president uh,
1: that was a short gig um, it just because it, it just was fast paced production, a lot like, um, you know, something like South Park, where they just turn it, they just turn the episodes around really fast. Um, Yeah, you know, I was just, it was one of those things that came about reaching out to someone I knew from school who worked in animation, you know, what are you doing these days, who, you know, oh, you know, who's looking, oh, I think, so-and-so is a producer over here. They're looking. Why don't you email them? And, uh, yeah, you know, and the the job came about and, um, they had, you know, that, that gig was kind of interesting because, you know, I think they had tested out the idea on Stephen's show, um, and then, kind of expanded it into the series. And essentially the entire production, the studio, CBS uh, late night cartoons, I mean, was basically a pop-up production studio that they, you know, that they just made in the Ed Sullivan Theater Building on like the eleventh floor or something. Um you know, just in an
3: office behind the bit behind the bathroom. Well yeah. <laughs> I mean
1: in a way isn't everything behind the bathroom on the floor? <laughs>
3: <Right>. <laughs> isn't everything next it's to It's around the bathroom. The bathroom? <laughs> it's bathroom adjacent. Yeah
2: isn't everything next to the airport like you know emotionally speaking <laughs> I, mean,
1: <laughs> I mean when you're when you're new on a production and you come into the office like one of your first questions is, like, where's the kitchen and where's the bathroom so, uh, you, mentioned it being like, well,
2: so you mentioned it being like a pop-up uh, you know kind of production company yeah. um, is this the same production company that's giving us below decks
1: I don't know okay i'm not familiar with that one i i believe they are you will be you will be i believe they're doing that um like that two news thing that that, that's going around Uh, some Mm -hmm. of the some of the directors that are involved with that
3: dude the one that they did on uh with the lincoln project was amazing Mm. did you catch that
0: no. no, no, that
2: was called "Who's Coming to Stay Dinner." We already talked about it.
0: We saw was a pain in the ass. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: um, let's that talk- that has a I, I think that I think that one has one of my other favorite lines, which is like, uh, "Doesn't anybody here care about perimeters?" <laughs>
2: Is that the Lincoln Project? Uh, Is team going around collecting money to make a Lincoln? That's the Lincoln Project.
3: Yeah, yeah. Everybody you thought was actually a a deep uh, political operative was in fact just an animator looking for work. (laughs)
1: Um, You know, what I I wanted to say about our cartoon president that was really cool um, and kind of indicative of the of the kind of change in and the sort of advancements in storyboarding is that I I worked with a a new program that I hadn't worked before actually I did I did work in the previous job on on Hasbro's Hanazuki right before it at Titmouse I worked with um Toon Boom's Storyboard Pro and uh we did did Cartoon President as well with this. And um, essentially the big difference with that compared to previous jobs was the addition of working on a timeline and basically piecing together our own animatic before we send it off to the editor. So we're actually starting to work with the timing. Instead of just drawing the pictures on their own and then passing them off to somebody else to kind of put them against the voice tracks, we're actually starting to do a loose version where we're putting in the timing and putting them against the voice tracks. And that kind of starts to bridge this gap where the storyboard artist is kind of stepping into a more of a filmmaker role, um, which really opens up a lot of doors for storyboard artists um, as they make their, as they kind of eyeball like career moves into directing and show running and stuff like that. So, That's interesting. You know, our cartoon president was was funny because all of the, you know, all the shots in that show are straight on, and all the setups are straight on. So we've got the backgrounds already designed. We're pulling them from a the library, dropping them in. We're pulling the characters from a library, dropping them in. Um, I'm redrawing mouths and hands and puppeting them into position. There's very little drawing involved, but it's all just staging. Um, So from a drawing perspective, for me, who really loves drawing, super boring. But from a storytelling and a filmmaking perspective, it was all new, interesting, learning
3: process. I am of the opinion that DJs make the best musicians, right? Like, you know, DJs, you when they kind of spit out. Well, think about it, dude. Like, uh, Rick Rubin, right? Like, no, no, I mean, they, I can't. Hey. I'm sorry, not, not, not musicians, producers. We'll just say producers. DJs yeah, I mean, make the best producers. Uh, oh, well, I can't.
2: Uh, Danger Mouse.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah. he made,
2: my, like, one of my all-time favorite albums, and he keeps going.
3: Yeah. Like, and I kind of feel like would you equate DJ Shadow is always one of my favorites. Oh yeah. Yes. Dude, his work will run the jewels. Excellent. <laughs> uh and of course I, I you know, I, I remember him getting kicked off of a uh, got kicked out of a Florida bar for being too future. It's like, man, really? Like your audience can't handle DJ Shadow, the artist you booked, and your goal is to like, you know what, we're just gonna we're just gonna throw up somebody who's gonna play like Soldier Boy 15 times? Like, let's see, like surely it's gonna play to our crowd better. Uh, but but I digress, because uh, the reason I brought that up was, do you feel that storyboarding, in much the same way as DJs might make, you know, some of the best producers, what do you feel like storyboarding is the natural precursor to, or makes the best representatives of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, right now um, you know what I'm interested in kind of learning next is sort of the pre what they call previs Mm
4: -hmm.
1: which is to kind of start to bring in some 3d aspects um, and start to block out some of those um, some of those big action moments that you might see in like a Marvel film. Um, and, you know, a lot of like live action films, right, they they might have some, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> there, there might, the stuff that's, you know, live action is gonna be maybe loosely storyboarded and allow for the cinematographer and the editor to sort of take advantage of the set and the actors and the moment to sort of figure out how to film it and the editor to kind of put it together. But the big action stuff that's gonna require a lot of CG requires a ton of planning. And they're gonna have to, if you wanna stay on budget, in terms of creating that 3D animated stuff, um, you know, you've got to plan that stuff out, you know, down to like the second. And that's where the pre comes in. And, and this, so the storyboarders are kind of creating these like two and a half, you know, two and a half D kind of storyboards that are like a little bit of drawing, a little bit of 3D and you know huh.
2: see i thought the one big uh action like finale from civil war was just improv <laughs> right
0: yeah, there's wing it you know i could not know what i'm talking about
3: <laughs> i storyboarded my whole career bro just
0: wait <laughs> number one rule at marvel is just yes and like Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yes, and more guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and more dogs from space. (laughs) Uh, I think that's more DC thing. Mm. Uh, They need to bring back Cosmo. I'm sad they never looped him back in from the first Guardians. That was a nice. (laughs) I wanted the talking dog with the Russian. Telepathic Russian dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just genius.
3: Um, I I have a quick question here, and this is really more of a uh, you know for some of our fans who do have different ideas. Um, when it comes to the hardest person you've had to work with, was it Darrington or Zeg?
1: Darrington or Zeg.
3: <laughs> um, is Blaze as much of a prima donna as he seems like you would be? I I think.
1: Zach was pretty easy to work with because he's pretty simple-minded. <laughs> Darrington, you know, just he can just go off and do his own thing. You know, <laughs> was was uh, AJ? You can never rope. You can never rope him in. You know, you're just you're <laughs> trying to do something, and the next thing you know, he's doing flips.
2: There you go. He, he's the Lionel Richie of Blaze and the Monster Machines. Like he's gonna go <laughs> off solo.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is not your show. This is not the Darrington show. This is the <laughs> Blaze show. Get, well and one get, of the Get yourself awesome together, things.
2: buddy. <laughs> one of the awesome things I actually discovered in prepping for this mm. was Sunday pants.
0: Oh, oh my god. So talk I,
2: about Sunday pants. Yeah,
0: please, please.
2: like okay i only watched the first episode but yeah same
0: uh, and i'm I'm mad i didn't have more time to watch more of them because oh my god
2: (laughs) yeah no this is about to be like my new underground binge like this is i caught the first like two little like animated you know like because it's an anthology series i caught the first two little shorts and like i about died and the little interstitials of like the rockabilly band singing about the theme,
0: People <laughs> getting pelted with golf balls <laughs> out in the middle of a driving range. You are like, what?
2: Yeah, singing about like dangerous situations while there is a guy cutting grass behind him.
0: <laughs> oh well, wait till you get to the guy standing on a ledge, and the the the, the angel and uh, de- devil pop up on his shoulders. You will die when that comes up. Oh my god. <laughs> I I
1: legitimately forgot about Sunday pants. <laughs> For quite some time. We never
0: knew it existed. Don't feel bad.
1: <laughs> for quite some time until what maybe a, a year ago or so where I was, I had to, we had to move me and my wife. We moved from Park Slope to Bensonhurst recently. And, um, you know, that's, that's the time where you start going through all your stuff and figuring out what do you got to throw out? So I'm going through all my artwork like but what you know how can I downsize some of this stuff and just going through and finding things and yeah finding those designs for um, what the hell are the characters names the uh... ah it's right there at the tip of my tongue
2: <laughs> please tell me you're talking about the two dogs
1: no it was the two boys based on the golden books one was the good boy and one was the bad boy like um
2: because i'm surprised they got away with the dog gag like the dog's last name it was a pair of russian dogs and the last name was pissed off
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and i'm like cartoon network at 9 30 in 2005 i hear you getting a little ballsy
1: yeah it was like one of those like you know be the, be the good boy and wash your hands with soap. Don't be the bad boy and, like, you know, try to, like, wash your hands with mud. But it was, like, uh, something with a D. Like, it's right there at the tip of my tongue. You know, they got these dumbass comb-overs. Very kind of dorky Venture Brothers. Like Big cursors. The, like what they're rooted in in terms of like that nerdiness you know like that old school kind of uh, doofus doofus and gallant <laughs> something like that <laughs> sounds like a little
2: riff on Davy and Goliath
1: <laughs> I mean it was a riff on something like a little golden books thing
0: I mean, from what I saw, I was genuinely surprised. Were you surprised that that made it onto Cartoon Network and not Adult Swim? Because after just the one little taste I got, I was Did like, it? I didn't realize. It, I no, mean, I thought it, it was it an had, Adult Swim. Pen. It had Cartoon Network <laughs> down at the bottom on the little logo that I saw for it, and um, yeah, yeah, I and was like,
2: the, uh, when I was doing the the Wikipedia research on it, like, it had the slot right before Adult Swim started uh before you know they kind of expanded the the adult swim slot it started like 9 30 and i think in 2005 adult swim started at 10.
0: right so it was like
2: their bridge show from like (laughs) all right kids animation to adult animation and this is like the the bridge that gets you there yeah
1: the thing the thing about sunday pants was um because it was an anthology show we only we only produced that one that one bit. Um, all the rest of the stuff was produced. You know that stuff was produced all around the country at different studios. Every little bit every little bit from that. I'm looking this up because it's killing me. Sunday pants. <laughs>
0: I mean, I've heard some stories of like back in the uh, the 80s and the early 90s where a lot of cartoons got on air that maybe possibly shouldn't have because uh, literally quotes were that some of the guys on the board running the uh, standards and practices were possibly a little hammered at the time and continually so and never really caught any of the jokes. But I kind of, I hadn't heard any of those type stories running on at Cartoon Network or into the, the aughts. But then all of a sudden I found this and I was just like, This fits right in with uh, the guys who missed Pee Wee's Playhouse and everything else back in that day because it's just sliding a lot. I I mean, Cartoon Network, don't get me wrong, they do slide some stuff into some of those younger kid shows where you're like, ah, adult joke. But this one was just, I mean, as soon as the guy's standing on the ledge contemplating what looks like jumping off, but then it's a Frisbee he's getting off the ledge or something. But (laughs) it's... (laughs) This this thing this thing the, the one I worked on was called Dial Dr. Lyle
1: Pushkin's Guide to Happy Boys.
0: <laughs> that does sound like something that would get played in the learning beds over and over again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the beginning of like uh the children's version of the shining. <laughs> <laughs> Like, by the end of it, it's like, you know, all work and no play, all work and no play. I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy. <laughs>
1: oh, my goodness. So, those really yeah. were
0: genuinely different shorts produced all around? Yeah,
1: they were all Okay, because so I was thinking
0: that would be such an undertaking for one animation studio, because it really did seem to jump from one complete style to a totally different one on a dime. Um, I was I was like that is a masterclass and a couple of artists trying to get down their different formatting styles or yeah. yeah otherwise, this they, is getting passed around.
1: They had us. They had they had their studio down in William Street, you know, and all sorts of every any every show that was like on Adult Swim, or, you know, was a different production studio,
0: so well I'd have to look it up but you might have uh, I mean at least in some way or part or another worked on a the show that I want to say has H. John Benjamin doing the most different voice I've ever heard him do from his standard um, I was just listening through it and all of a sudden I'm like wait a minute that sounds like a Bob Berger voice that he does that doesn't sound like him and he even amped it up a little bit more because uh, he he's not very well known for vocal range per se in his things it's just such an absolutely amazing voice you don't say no to it um but yeah i caught one of in there the master like, yep yeah, oh god the master um but yeah i caught one in there and i was all like that kind of sounds like uh the jimmy boy next door and bob's burger but even amped up a little bit more um yeah they they tossed him around to some places
1: <laughs> uh, that character cracks me up <laughs> sure some wild stuff. Wild stuff.
3: <laughs> now I was wondering if you could kind of talk to us a little bit about the fool. You mentioned earlier that this is part of your thesis project. And yeah. can you kind of give us a brief rundown about where this started, how it came about, and where you're taking
1: it? Yeah, sure. For it was initially just um, you know, part of my portfolio class had to come up with you know something something interesting. And it started as a three pager, a three page storyline, and I designed this character um, just just to get this little this little concept across, this little silent story. Um, and the idea for it, I think. I want to say that the impetus for it came from an incubus song where there was a line about like going through the back door, you know, and, and people standing in line. And I can Led see
3: Led had a similar song
1: <laughs> in through the outdoor. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. So I just conceptualized this, 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 idea of these, these characters standing in a line, this endless line, and, and one of them just decides to just get out and go around the building and, like, go through the back door. And then, like, everyone else who's standing in line, like, looks around and it was like, oh, that, that was actually kind of a good idea, and, like, go to follow him. And, like, that was it. It was just, like, this short little piece that was just going to be left alone. And it was, it all, it like, it it represented like the first time I made like a big leap in like style, like my inking style, my drawing style, my storytelling style. Um, It was very influenced by um, the Akira comic book, which I just read at the time, which which had that, that, that sensibility of being like a storyboard on on paper and comic book and just a lot of moment to moment stuff a lot of quiet stuff that got really drawn out and I was just I was really into that it's very all the textural inking and so you know I remember when I first put it on the wall in the class and someone saw it and they're like who did this and I'm like that's me and they're like "It's you it doesn't look like you yeah that's me and I'm like <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying something new. So, you know, it just got a lot of positive feedback and um, just led to a lot of brainstorming on my part. Before I knew it, me and my brother were, were sitting around a couple nights, drawing in our sketchbooks, coming up with ideas. He brainstormed his, his pet project, which was Growing Up Comic, um love that by the way thank you uh yeah we could talk about that oh definitely a bit um and i ended up naming naming my character the fool i'm not even sure where that name came from initially but
3: um, are you an iggy pop fan
1: a little bit but not not uh not so much that i know that that reference
3: <laughs> are you? A, yeah, I was say,
1: are you a Dostoyevsky fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, love, I, I mean, I've looked, I've looked that up. I mean, I've done some some research as, as far as like where the name pops up and, and things and, and, and different places and stuff. But long story short, it's it's gestated into my in my head into a story that um, after. A good 20 years of people poking me and saying you should do more with that I'm finally ready to do more with it and um, you know so the story the story involves this creature uh, you know this being really from a from another world who finds himself um, in our world on earth and is Adopted by a young woman, and together they are trying to figure out their place in the world and and why they're here. And um, it's a little bit Lilo and Stitch, a little bit of ET, and a little bit of X Files. Um, and uh, I'm working with a writer named Pat Shand, who's co-writing it with me. Um, helping me out with the script and the structure. He uh, worked on a project. He works on um, something called Destiny New York for his own company called uh, Space Between Entertainment. Um, He just finished, up, I think, the fourth successful Kickstarter for the fourth volume of Destiny New York. Uh, He's written for Zenoscope, a book called Robin Hood amongst... uh, much more for them. He's worked with Avatar on a book called Crossed Plus 100, Mm. uh, Black Mask uh, Studios on um, a book called Breathless, a whole bunch of other stuff, young up-and-comer, very prolific. Um, And uh, yeah, so we're um, we're putting together the uh, pitch for that and the first issue right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it because, like I said, people have been poking me for a long time to do twenty something years. With, with that's a idea. that's a
3: heck of a poke.
1: That's a heck of a poke. You damn right. So um, I mean, I, I spent a long time I spent a long time working on that other project, Coil.
3: Yeah. Um.
1: And uh, that that's also, you know, gonna be uh, that's gonna be a big big thing. When, when when I get back to that, I put that aside for a little bit. You know, it's really it's really hard to work on comic books when you're also full-time
0: animation. And, you know... Is that the one of, you had sent me a couple thing. pictures of? Uh, a couple Maybe. months back, I believe. Probably. It was absolutely gorgeous, whatever. It was very uh, like in the woods, elven yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. Fucking gorgeous, man. Yeah,
1: yeah. You,
0: Coil gonna, is like... Um,
1: we call it gene punk.
3: Yeah, I was
0: going to uh, ask what that was.
1: That's uh that's a word the the writer Joshua Sher, um, had coined. Um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's like uh, you know, genetic manipulation and genetic engineering. Uh, biopunk is also another word that's maybe more um, commonly used. Um,
3: it was kind of like Thundercats meets Avatar meets William Gibson.
1: I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that and I'll run with it. Well, uh, and that's
3: one of
2: my favorite like genre things recently. It's quote unquote the, the punk genres. Yeah. And it makes me go through and kind of reimagine things. Like is, uh, is Flintstones stone punk?
1: Stone punk? <laughs> could be. <laughs> that could be. Yeah, you know, one of my favorite my, one of my favorite comic books of all time um, is Joe Kelly and Chris Bicalho's book uh, *Steampunk*, which was for *Cliffhanger* at Image. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a steam you know steampunk, power you know steam powered Victorian age, and their tagline for it was like, you know. Hundred years in the future, two hundred years in the past. You know, and yeah. yeah, I just—that's
3: great. It's,
1: it's the same. It's the same thing. You know, like why not? Like Flintstones, like future in the Stone Age. Like,
3: <laughs> yeah, most why people. Not, why play wouldn't
1: play. they? Why why wouldn't they have record players?
3: Yeah, people don't realize the play by Hundred years in the future
0: that <laughs> like weirdly reminds me of a we do a new show and one of the ones i had covered a couple episodes back on that was a steam powered jumping uh robot that they're sending to moons on other planets and uh i was like okay yeah no 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 this probably would have ended up in that book then because it's just such a bizarrely old concept but literally they're chucking it into outer space um. <laughs> yeah, it's like steampunk robot go
3: yeah. <laughs> well, l- let's be honest. If we're being real honest with ourselves, all nuclear power is steampunk. I'm sorry, nuclear.
2: <laughs> He's been hitting that joke since the Bush administration.
0: Nuclear.
3: It still works. It's the
0: pronounced. horse is still alive, man. The horse is still alive. Keep eating it.
3: <laughs> now, uh, just a quick question here. Since you're talking about how the closed mouth doesn't get fed, what is your goal for the fool? What, what would you love to see happen out of this? What is the best of all possible worlds? Well, best of all possible
1: worlds,
3: you know, what I, what
1: I would love is um, if it, in a, to be modest about it, and this is, this is not modest at all. <laughs> I, I would love if I could achieve something like Jeff Smith did with Bone, with his comic book and and you know just have a self-published comic book that tells a complete story that i have complete control over from beginning to end collected you know in one volume or multiple color volumes you know that's available in bookstores as an evergreen you know book um that me is just perfect um and i think attainable uh <laughs> right. for you know you know for a comic book creator uh, and producer you know you know
2: i have to be honest with you uh i'm huge into comic culture i've never heard another creator just straight up like i want what jeff smith has like and why not because bone is great it's it's a remarkable title um and it's a lot of fun and yeah i mean in terms of like you know the the creative setup like who wouldn't want that
1: yeah and then like and then like the wild you know then the wild dream is like netflix Netflix options it for six seasons in a movie animated show Toys, plushies—you know, everybody and their mother talks
0: about it. At You'd be a time. fool to not fall for the fool. Hire <laughs> this man.
2: <laughs> oh well, I mean, and you're doing uh, a little
1: bit of work over at Marvel, right? And um, not yet, but I hope to. <laughs> well, I was going to say, no. like, you could pitch them the
3: crossover, like, fool meets fool killer.
1: Ooh hey 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 now
3: <laughs> <laughs> or hey you know w- w- when they do that doesn't
1: c- sound like it's gonna work out too well for my guy
3: <laughs> when they do uh when they do civil war three you know we could have uh yeah. the fool being uh essentially you know the guy who pulls everything together he could be uh the infinity gauntlets version like you know, how adam warlock was in the infinity <laughs> war like yeah. Infinity Gauntlet, like the fool, could just kind of be that for the Marvel universe. Like, hey guys, he's really important. Here's his first appearance. <laughs> you know,
1: there are ways to make this happen. There, we, you know, I've got, I've got the, um, I've got the storylines, and I've got the connections. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, outside, outside of the fool and, and the creator own stuff I, I mean I'd love to I'd love to be able to do the full even if it's even if a publisher doesn't pick it up you know in this day and age to just be able to kick start something um produce that and then move on in the next project and, and kick start that it, you know hopefully that's coil um or something else and, and just continue to do that if, if I could do that do commissions and make a living you know i'm perfectly content uh i'd love to be able to pick up some work for hire and do some some big name comic books at some point you know in terms of dream projects in that space uh the number one for me is is the x-men that's that's the one that got me into comics yeah the dark phoenix saga being reprinted in x-men classics yes um was Chris
3: claremont
1: (laughs) yeah that's what that's what that's what pulled me in that's what i picked up off the newsstands first um chris claremont john byrne wolverine alone versus the hellfire club dude
3: that's literally the first issue of x-men that i bought uh and like that like the image of wolverine in the sewers that's it that's the one come on i
1: was sold i Uh, saw it I yeah. saw, that was my first comic. That, that It had this, this beautiful Steve Lytle cover of, of Phoenix taking out the White Queen. Yeah. And she's got this, you know, big, big fire burn. And, you know, White Queen's in her lingerie thing getting thrown back.
3: Yeah. I enjoyed uh, that cover. Uh,
1: he's a young man.
3: I, I was a young man.
1: He's a young boy <laughs> discovering
3: new Asian things points.
1: about himself, new feelings. <laughs> Um, now, but then yeah, but then you get that last page, and Wolverine's coming out of the sewer. Yeah. It's like it's it's time.
3: Yeah, Leland. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, those of a, those of our listeners who are just catching us on the podcast will not have the opportunity to see the vast array of work that you've got. Can you tell our listeners where to find your work? Yeah,
1: um, you can find me on Instagram, JohnRosetti.com, or John John at John Rossetti. You can also find me at JohnRosetti.com. I'm on Facebook, John Rosetti. That's R-O-S-C-E-T-T-I. And, um, you know, if you're really interested in talking about the nuts and bolts of storytelling, um, I have a group on Facebook called Sequential Art Theory. Um, Would love to have... People jump in there and talk about storytelling, storyboarding, comic books, etc. And uh, you know, for commissions um, and convention appearances, things of that nature, uh, on Instagram, uh, you can reach out to Magnus Magnus Arts Agency. Uh, it's with an underscore between each word. Um, that's pretty much it. And uh,
0: one quick question. You reminded me of it mentioning your website. Um, there's a storyboard that's got the pirates from Sargasso. I believe it is in there. Yeah. Uh, was it Jingle Pirate? Was that the guy's name on oh, the? God. He had a name that never appeared in the show, and I just remember seeing that, and I was all like, "And that was that that right there that that made going through and scrolling through everything worth it, just to get the one little extra. Like, were there characters that just had Maybe. names that never got? Like that I mean, one. That,
1: that goes back to our conversation about I'm a computer.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know, would, I, would he have been labeled like he, Jingle Pirate he, he, getting sent over to the animation studio? Quite, quite possibly. Okay. I just yeah. I saw that little detail the first is that, time you sent me the, that's the link that's noted,
1: that's noted on my board. Is, is that? I mean, it's been so long. It was. It
0: was on the side. There is Jingle Pirate. And he's the one with like the bells on the shoes or the hat or something. They, yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. See, that's got I mean, oh, oh, oh. to be his... <laughs>
1: You know, that's got to be his name on the design sheet, and he's probably, like, character, like, 608 or something. (laughs) (laughs) Is he the
2: one pirate we're always talking about? I think so. Yeah, yeah, the one we can never, like, uh, you know, because we do little, like, audio bits and stuff, and so uh, we have, like, terrible pirate captain voices, but we want to do what we know now is Jingle Pirate, but nobody here can nail that voice, that, like, really nasally, like, you know, New England, like, yeah! That's
0: That's as close as you've gotten. That Keep that. That was great. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He's really sticking it to you. He's hmm. being nice, but he's still really being mean and sticking it to you. Yeah, that guy.
1: That scene was a bear to draw. I wish... I wish we... I wish I drew that scene in in season three because then I could have could have done it digital and it would have been so much easier to do in in layers on Photoshop but instead we did it season one on paper and I had to draw those characters on separate layers and cut them out and paste them down and then Chris completely changed the sequence of events and I had to (laughs) redraw the whole thing and and change the whole setup of the action, and it took me an entire week to draw like those two pages of storyboards. Oh, does but, he um, like
2: when he approaches you like that? Is it like a Jonas Venture thing? Well, hey Champ, that's great, but I'm gonna <laughs> redo
3: really the whole thing <laughs> uh, real quick. A little bit, a little bit. Real quick,
0: uh, I've got Squadron of Five, which of course means it is time for Squadron of Five. Uh, For the special edition today, we're going to be doing uh, Forming a Rock Band. Uh, We're going to have six total members, one of them obviously being John himself in the band. Um, So getting right off the top here, who who did you have down for your lead singer?
1: Now, the thing about this one, it's hard to not want to go for the no-brainer and the easy answer, which is to just take shallow gravy on the road. You know, and like, just just let Hank do his thing. I'll be the manager. Maybe bring Brock along with us, you know, so we can have some muscle and, you know, he can be the roadie. And, and probably what I'd really like to do is like, use some machine learning and like, have, have Helper like, study Danny Carey from Tool. <laughs> So that like, he could be like half, he could be like half the time he could be like a Casio keyboard, and then go off on like these insane drum fills, and then come back to like a Casio beat. I think that would be pretty Imagine like,
2: helper rolling out after being introduced to like tool albums, and he's got like a gloss black finish. (laughs) I mean, that'd be pretty dope, right? Right. right.
1: Like, helper with a third eye. <laughs>
4: oh yeah, like
2: the the little like uh, I, I call it the Tool Paisley from uh, <laughs> from Lateralis. Yeah, like, on the edge of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. They got had, like the music videos of like the the stop motion animation style stuff that they used to do, but it's all like helper like pulling himself apart and putting himself back together and shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I don't have a lot of musical talent other than like I did pretty good with the drums and rock band and always wanted to like learn the drums at some point. But, you know, I and like in in high school, like I wanted to sing in like a hardcore band, and, which reminds me, there used to be a band we listened to. I think they were from Jersey. They were called Fury of Five. <laughs> and uh but you know, I I'd, I'd probably do nothing but like ruin my voice screaming like that. So I, you know, I'll probably stick to being the manager or something, or the, you know, the roadie. You could I, be I like mean, him. I'd also I'd also love, I, I'd also love to explore Gary, you know, and uh, 21 and 24 as the damned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay, wait, uh, this is kind of off topic, but you brought him up. What, what, what was your take on uh, breaking up the pair of 21 and 24? Did you support that decision when it was getting kicked around there? Or, I mean, You was were that complicit. A, you was were there for that. Known, How did that go down? Because that's probably one of the biggest things to happen on that show, genuinely, period. Uh, even all the way up to now, I'd say up to season six for sure. That was like one of the biggest moments, I think, in the entire show for the fans. I mean, I miss, I miss that Ray Romano voice. Right,
1: right. But I do, I do like where they brought Gary's character.
0: I, I feel like that's like the redeeming factor for all of us missing him is, yeah. but then we wouldn't have gotten to 21. That I mean, never would have happened without the unfortunate past. Just the tattoo of Hench for Life alone justifies the death of a cartoon character.
1: <laughs> priceless to see the number of people walking around Comic Con cosplaying <laughs> with their shirts off and Hench for Life right across their guts.
2: Yeah, no, see, here's the thing. Uh, I'm, I'm actually like planning very seriously to get that ink. Because there's not a lot of, outside, until Fat Thor happened, there wasn't a lot of cosplay options for guys with my physique. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's Out of Shape Mr. Impossible, there's, you know, 21, 2-ton 21, and now Fat Thor. Like, we're, we're slowly getting options.
1: These are a boon to fans everywhere.
2: <laughs> then, really, it's a punishment, because they will see me without my shirt off. Yeah. Like I'm totally just going to be a just an even sweatier version of Burt Kreischer in public.
1: I mean other other musical group thoughts I had was, you know, the Order of the Triad would make a pretty rad band. I think.
0: What 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 uh what genre of music uh, would they go after? I mean
1: some kinda some kind of horror punk or something. Yes. You know. Um I could like,
2: totally seeing them open for death.
1: <laughs> but, uh, or like you know Pete and Billy and like a new wave band with like the order of the triad backing them up you know as like a rhythm section and rhythm guitars and stuff guys 9 inch nails just got back together there you go <laughs> there you go <laughs> i mean that, that that'd be pretty that'd be pretty rad too
0: that's actually not a bad five set right there. Billy and Pete up front, and then the full back set of a triad right there. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah,
4: dude, yeah.
0: I no, I dig that. Well, then boom, there you go. And then, then you're the manager of that band, whatever you want to call that amalgamation, there you go.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I totally see this as being transformative to Billy. Like this is where Billy, like you know, gets all the 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 like you know self esteem and confidence, but then he totally becomes like a prima donna. Like he becomes like a Trent Reznor. Like I can't work with any of you. Where are my skittles?
0: <laughs> I, I need message. all I need all purple skittles in order to go on live. <laughs> People just start arching him by swapping out pennies into the skittles bags, like. <laughs>
2: I told you, I don't want to see one more damn penny in the studio.
0: (laughs) Oh, man.
3: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure that I thank you for joining us as we were joined by storyboard artist and Venture Bros alumni, John Rossetti, whose amazing work you will find the details of in this podcast. And of course, uh, I believe we can get that up on Twitter and our social media stuff as well. So make sure everybody gets the opportunity to check out your work. John, from all of us, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I have absolutely enjoyed this. And I speak for everybody when I say how truly wonderful it has been to spend this time with you. Thank you so very kindly.
1: Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure.
3: Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another spectacular episode of Conjectural Technologies, a venture industries podcast. I've been your host, Professor Brock Savage, joined as always by, Beast Lo- by Baron Beast Lamode, my long-time companda, and our favorite denizen of dinner theater, the Vaudevillain. Our special guest this week was storyboardist John Rossetti. Thanks so much. We'll see you again real soon.
1: I'm going to have to get myself one of these nicknames.
3: I believe in you. We'll come up with something. Uh, John Ruschetti. John Ruschetti. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's like everyone I hated in grade school.
4: That was a weird one. Ignore me. Is anyone coming for this? 5 Subject Samples of Earth